I've used this example before um, in a little bit of a different way. Um, does, anyone does everyone remember the wonderful five paragraph essays that you wrote probably in fourth to sixth grade, somewhere in there? Um, those, those wonderful essays where you had your introduction, you had to make your introductory like big sentence, you had to introduce your three points, conclude the introduction, and then that first body paragraph had an introduction and like three supporting sentences, then a conclusion, and then the second body paragraph, and so on. And then the conclusion would have to then wrap, summarize all of your three points. And it's this thing that seems so simple now. And the last, last week I was having to proofread one of those and it was just like, I see it all. It was all coming back of just how quote, simple the, the concept is, but we're seeing James do a lot of that in his letter. I don't know if you've realized this. We've referenced a lot that the first chapter of James was really this big introduction, that every thing we've talked about since the first chapter of James, we've been able to say, remember when he said this in chapter one? Remember when he introduced this in chapter one? So instead of blaming the, your fourth or fifth grade teacher for this awful concept, um, we, now, we know it started way before that um, of this method. But it's been very helpful. James, really, we spent a couple of weeks on those introductory ideas. Those talked about wisdom. We talked about faith, even speech, that our words are important. All these things James outlined in chapter 1, and now we're getting some more detail. And we're going to see that again this morning. Uh, we're talking about wisdom, wisdom, which, again, James introduced to us. And uh, I think the second week we spent in James, the second or third week we were in James. Look at James 1, verse 5. James 1, verse 5. It'll be up on the screen. It says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So he, he introduced this. And then now in Genesis, Genesis, wow, I'm tired. Uh, in James chapter 3, 13 through 18 that we're in this morning, he's coming back to this idea about what is wisdom? Where does wisdom come from? And specifically, he talks a little bit about two different types of wisdom. I'm going to go ahead and read um, James, not Genesis, James 3, 13 through 18. James writes, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. But where jealousy, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above, from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is shown in peace by those who make peace. From purely just an organization standpoint, this is one of the easier sermons I feel like there has been to prepare. Because like, it's pretty clear what he's saying, that there is a type of wisdom that is earthly, that he even compares it to demonic. There's this, this type of wisdom. And then there's wisdom from above that he says is, is pure, is sincere, is peaceable. And he describes that. So it's like one of those is leading to disorder. 
The other one is leading to peace. It's pretty straightforward what he's saying. And remember what James, we've talked about this every week in James. What is he calling his readers to? What is he calling this, this group of believers that he's writing to? What is he calling them to? This righteous living, holy living, a way to, to live out their faith, live out their salvation. Look at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. We, it sounds almost similar to what we saw a couple weeks ago with our faith, with our faith being evidenced in our works. And he was saying, like, if, the, if you have wisdom, the, the wisdom we live our lives by will be shown in our actions. So he would say, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Like those who are wise, those who live by wisdom, will, be, will demonstrate this in the way they live their lives. And he's, it's been the same idea that James has been talking about. Like as, our, as our hearts have been changed through grace, as, as God changes our hearts, once he saves us, he also goes into this, this process of, of changing us, this process of, of molding us. And we've seen this play out a couple different ways. We said, like, as God changes our hearts, as God works in us, our speech, the, the words we use should change. We talked about this a lot last week. As our hearts are changed, our words will follow suit. Like, instead of tearing people down, our words can then be used to build people up. Instead of pushing people away from Jesus, our words can be used to lead people to Jesus. We talked about our words being a reflection of our heart. If you go back into James 2, we see that good works, the way, like living out our faith, is also a reflection of a changed heart. In chapter 1, he says, again, like our obedience, our, our doing the word, our, our, our following what God says, this is also a reflection of a changed heart. And what we see this morning, too, is that godly wisdom, this wisdom, he says, is from above, also results in a changed heart. And, and, and our actions flow from this. And we've said this over and over and over again, that God is not just after external obedience. He's not just after lip service. He's not just after people who say, yes, I believe that, and then their lives don't show that, don't display that. So that God is after our hearts. But what we've seen over and over again is that once he gets our hearts, he gets the rest of it too. Once God has your heart, Actions and good works follow. Once he has your heart, the way you live your life, or the wisdom you live your life by, will follow. Once he has your heart, will grow in the way we're self-controlled in our tongue. Like God is about more than just the external. He's about, he wants our hearts. 
But once he has that, it spills over into the rest of our lives as well. And as, we th- as I think about verse 13, like those with true wisdom, those with, that are filled with wisdom from above, that'll be shown in the way that we live our lives. And we'll talk about this more as we get to verse 17. But there's two distinct types of wisdom, right? He, he's talked about wisdom that is earthly and wisdom that is not. Andy, I'm putting your whatever this is back here. We just learned who is musical and who is not. Um, but there's two different types of wisdom that he's been talking about, right? In, in this section, two different types of wisdom. Let me read verse 14 through 16 again. Verse 14 through 16. It says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. For this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly unspiritual and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So we just said that, that changed hearts lead to godly wisdom, which then lead to action. But then you see that, that word, that, that word that says but. But, and there's a, but there's a contrast coming. We see this word all through Scripture. That, the simple is three letters, but. And like we've seen that word in some of the most, what I feel like is like some of the most important passages we see. We've memorized one of them, right? We talked about Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, that like we were all dead. We're all without hope. But then verse 4 starts out with, but, but God. And how we see that, that huge turn in there. But God. You see in this text, though, that but is not a good one. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. There's, there's this huge contrast in these different types of wisdom. Did you, look, what does James say are the two signs of this type of wisdom, of earthly wisdom? Jealousy and selfish ambition. And I, I was thinking a lot about these two words this week. Like, what is the common denominator there? If you look at jealousy, if you look at selfish ambition, like, those two words, it's all wrapped up in me. It's all wrapped up in I. It's all wrapped up in me. It's about wanting to have something else that, some, something that someone else has. Or it's all wanting to know what is best for me. Decisions that are based on me. Desires that are based on me. That what I currently have is not enough. That I need more for me. And what I see based on just those two words, jealousy, selfish ambition, that if we are consumed with me, if we are consumed with ourselves, that's lining up a lot with the wisdom of the world. The wisdom that James describes as earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And it almost feels like kind of a gut punch a little bit because like, I would dare say that most of us probably default to thinking about me. 
thinking about ourselves. Sorry, I know you don't default to thinking about me. Like, I know we default to thinking, we'll talk later. Uh, like, that we default to thinking about ourselves. We default to thinking about, I keep wanting to say me, ourselves. But was this not the case? Like, when we first, when we first saw sin in Genesis 3, this is what it was, right? Who was Eve thinking about when she first ate of the fruit? What, what did Satan tempt her with? That she would then know good and evil. That she would be like God. That it would be good for her. And when we see that for when sin first comes in, it's that selfish ambition. I want this for me. I want to have that. Jealousy. She wanted what God had. That knowledge of good and evil. And I feel like the same desire is still so true today. We're so, so we default, I default all the time to what is best for me? What sets me up the best? What is the best decision for me? And that's what all the world says we should do. Get what is best for you. Doesn't matter who you trample on. Doesn't matter what you have to go over or go through. Do what's best for you. And my point is not to say that we should always do what is worst for us. Like, that is, not, that is not at all what I'm saying. Some people can take that and go a whole different way with that and say, oh, we should purposely live in, in the worst of the worst. We should always have the worst of the worst. We should have no good things. That's not at all what James is saying. That's not at all what I'm trying to say. But if our decisions, our choices, the, the way we live our lives is constantly about us. It's constantly about ourselves. I think James is saying that this is aligned a lot more with demons than it is with God. He says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. So as you think about Life, as you think about your decisions, that your decision-making process, all of this, like, what is the first desire? What is the first thing you're looking out for? Is it what can I get out of this? What makes me the most happy, or the most fulfilled, or the most comfortable? I think if that's always the first question we're asking. Like, that's just a recipe for disaster in our, in our homes, in our, in our marriages, in our workplaces, in the church. Like, who are you concerned with pleasing most? Is it you? Is it someone else? Is it God? Do you, do you even care about the answer to that question? Look at verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Disorder. Every vile practice. Evil intention. So I just said, like, if our decisions, if our decision-making is just all about us, it really is this, this recipe for Disaster. 
when a, a marriage is all about what someone else can do for you, when the workplace is always about what someone else can do for you, when our relationships are always about what someone else can do for you. Like, it's no wonder that disorder follows. It's no wonder that chaos follows. It's no wonder that sin follows. Like James, I think, is talking about this equation. Tanner's talked a lot recently. Um, well, I think it's come up on Sunday night a couple of times that what God says in one part of the Bible, it has to be equal to that which he says somewhere else. Like, it's almost this algebra equation that God does not contradict himself. He does not change. He's always the same. So it's almost like an algebra, like this side has to equal this side. There is no difference. And as I've been thinking about this, like this is what James is saying, that jealousy, selfish ambition, it equals disorder. It equals every vile practice. Like they, they equal each other. You can't expect to live with selfish ambition. You can't expect to live with jealousy and expect a different outcome. And I, I would guess that a lot of us have seen this play out in our lives. I, I absolutely have. Like we've seen as we are motivated by that which is selfish, that which makes us the most comfortable, the most happy, or, or whatever, if that is our sole motivation, we've seen this play out. But James is making a bigger point and says that like, there is a better way. There is a better way. There is a way that does not lead to disorder. There is a way that does not lead to sinful practice, this vile practice. But there is a way that leads to peace. Look at verse 17. But, another but, same word, another big change. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is shown in peace by those who make peace. James is saying there is a better way. There's a better way. A way that is described as pure peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, full of good fruits, impartial and sincere. It's total contrast to that which James was just talking about. Total contrast to what he was, how he was just describing this earthly wisdom. Pure. Pure. James has used this word previously, right? He's already said... He's used this word in James 1.27, which I want to, I want to go ahead and read for you. In James 1.27, it says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Like, how is James describing purity? It's by living out our faith. Our faith being, being seen in, in actions, the way that we obey Him, the way that we step towards those in need, the ways that it's more than just lip service. Pure, undefiled religion looks like humbly serving others without always the distraction of what's best for 
me. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Remember, we talked about this last week, that words flow from our heart. They reveal the state of our heart. Like, this isn't something we can just manufacture, but it's just true purity is the same way. Like, it's not something we can manufacture, but it's what comes out of us. Does your life show signs of purity? I'm going to ask a lot of questions over the next few minutes. Just things to think about that we'll kind of come back to. Does your life show signs of this kind of purity? Peaceable. It's almost exactly opposite of that which James just described with earthly wisdom. Opposite of disorder, opposite of conflict. I think, again, as I said earlier, a lot of us probably see that when we place ourselves at the center of everything, there's often lots of conflict, lots of disorder. Because the world is not revolving around you as much as we like to think that it is. And so that automatically leads to conflict. Peace. Like, seeking peace is not just ignoring conflict, but it's about loving others more than we love ourselves, putting other people first. Like, does your life show signs of this type of peace? Are the decisions you make seeking this type of peace? Are the arguments you start, the frustrations you voice, are they focused on peace? Gentle. I think this is, this is way too often overlooked. I, feel I'm, I'm, I can think of people in my life, I'm sure you can too, that I would describe as, as gentle. There's some people like I would not describe as gentle. But God is saying that, that his wisdom, godly wisdom, wisdom from above, is gentle. Slow to anger. Slow to react in big ways. Gentleness is what invites people towards us instead of pushing them away. Does your life show signs of gentleness? Open to reason. It's it's, it's a a tough one. Are you open to being told you're wrong? Are you open to being told that there is a better way? Are you open to being flexible with what you think you know. Because I think there is wisdom. There's godly wisdom in listening to advice and being willing to admit that you've made a mistake. Being open to reason is willing to admit that someone else, someone else just might know better than you. Like we talked about earthly wisdom being all focused on ourselves. But open to reason is maybe is being willing to admit that maybe it's not all about me. That someone else might know more. Are you open to reason? And would your life show this? Full of mercy 
full of good fruits. I feel like mercy is an easy one that we all say, yes, I want mercy. When we mess up, when we do something wrong, when we say that harsh word, when we cause that conflict, I feel like it's easy to want mercy. We love mercy when we're the ones that need it. But are you quick to give mercy? Because godly wisdom is full of it. It's full of good fruit. It's full of that which we live out. It's evident. This good fruit, I feel like they're revealed in our attitudes, in our speech, in our lives. Are you full of mercy? Or are you quick to withhold mercy? Are you quick to hold a grudge? Does your life resemble one that has been shown mercy? Impartial and sincere. This, I looked into this quite a bit this week. That impartial word, other versions translate as like unwavering. So like unwavering, impartial, insincere. Like not being divided, not being parted. Like no uncertainty, no indecision. Real, sincere. Not divided, but real. There's so much in life that, can, that we can just put on like a facade that says like this is who I am and we're hiding our hurt, we're hiding who we really are. Like as I read this, sincere, this, it's like opposite of being a hypocrite. It's being real. You're not hiding who you really are. Are you sincere? And I don't ask all of these questions just as like trying to like give off any kind of condemnation. But I really feel like it's a good litmus test of where we are as individuals, as a church. There may be some of you that are like, oh, yeah, I do okay in some of these. I don't do so well in others. A helpful and terrifying exercise might be to ask others what they see in you. Terrifying. Scary. But it's a limit test. Where are we? Where are you? Like there are certain people, as I've been thinking a lot this week about all these different ways that, that godly wisdom, wisdom above, all these ways that it's described. There's some people that come to mind, I'm like, wow, like they exhibit that so well. Whatever, whether it's peaceable, whether it's gentle, sincere. You probably know some of those people in your life. Maybe those are the people we need to latch on to. Maybe those are the people we, we need to emulate as they emulate Jesus. Look at verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Nearly every commentary I read this week talked about how difficult this 
sentence was to translate from Greek to English. And I'm not going to pretend that I have some extra wisdom to give on this, but it's a tricky sentence, right? It's like, wait, what is that? What is he saying there? What is the point of this? But I think there's a very clear link between godly wisdom and peace. We saw that earthly wisdom, so he says unspiritual, demonic, earthly, leads to disorder. But godly wisdom leads to peace. But again, I, I, thinking of all those questions, as I ask those questions, in your life, is there more disorder or is there more peace? Which, which wisdom are you relying on? That which the world says to think about me, to make the best decisions for me? Or that which God would describe as pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. But listen, just because life may seem crazy, just because life may seem like there's a lot of disorder, like this does not mean that there is no hope. Because there is hope. There is hope for God to fill our hearts with his wisdom, which leads to peace. Because God doesn't just leave us out there on an island and say, so find that wisdom, find that peace, you're on your own. Not at all. Right in the middle of the Christmas season, this time that is crazy, this time that is busy, and we didn't go through a specific Advent series this year, um, but we're still in this time of year that we're kind of building up towards the coming Messiah, building up towards where we specifically celebrate the birth of Jesus. We're, we're building up towards this moment. Building up towards this moment where we celebrate God sending his Son into the world to bring peace. In that world of chaos, in that world of turmoil, in that, that world we just can't find it, when the world just can't offer the peace that we're seeking. Jesus came to bring peace. Is Jesus where you're searching for peace? It's a question to ask yourself. Is Jesus where you are searching for peace? Because there's a lot of places we can look for it. There's a lot of places that we can go try to seek it out. The wisdom of the world would say it's a lot of places. There's a lot of things that can make me happy. But it's going to come up empty if it's not Jesus. I'm going to read Colossians 2, 1-3. through 3. Colossians 2, 1-3. through 3. For I, this is Paul speaking. He says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Christ. 
in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. If peace comes through godly wisdom, then all of that is demonstrated. It's displayed in Jesus. Like it's no wonder that Jesus brings peace to earth. Because in him is perfect wisdom, perfect knowledge. We can keep searching in all the wrong places, but we're not going to find peace until we find it in Jesus. Peace with God, forgiveness for our sins, peace with others. Like we can spend a lifetime looking elsewhere and we're not going to find it. I've asked a lot of questions this morning. A lot of just questions that I hope kind of get you thinking a little bit. But what is your life driven by? What is it motivated by? Is it motivated by this earthly wisdom? Or is it motivated by wisdom that's described as being from above? Is it being motivated by that which leads to disorder, that leads to conflict, that leads to vile practice? Or is it that which leads towards peace? What about where you spend your time? Is that motivated by selfish ambition or by godly wisdom? Where you spend your money, where you spend your energy, where you spend your thoughts. I I would invite you to spend some time answering those questions this week. Like write them down. Ask others what they see in you. Like what are we relying on? This might seem crazy, but but what if before we made decisions, before we spoke, before we made that phone call, before we made that post, before we sent that message, what if we asked the question, is what I'm about to do pure? Is it peaceable? Is it gentle? Is it open to reason? Full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, sincere? Like what if this became that which informed our decisions. This, this godly wisdom that leads to peace. Like I so badly want this for my life. I want this for our lives. But it's wisdom that comes from above. It's wisdom that is displayed in Jesus. Because all of this that we're seeing all of this that we've been talking about, as we walk through Genesis, now we're in James, as we're in the Advent period, even if we might not take a specific sermon series to, to show this. Like we're in all of this, it's just, this, it's just walking us towards this, awaiting a coming Messiah. And Jesus came and brought peace. We no longer have to strive after the world. We no longer have to strive after the, the imperfect, the, the disorder, the, the chaos of the world. 
but we can rely on Jesus for forgiveness of sins, for peace in our hearts. And I believe that peace in our hearts translates to peace in our lives. So I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I invite you to pray as well. Just, just to pray like as our own hearts, that, that our hearts and our lives would reflect the gospel, that our, that our lives would reflect the mercy that has been shown, that our lives would reflect the peace that Jesus brought. Let's pray.